0: listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics that help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Have you ever considered hiring a virtual assistant? There are many entrepreneurs who have taken full advantage of the benefits that VAs have to offer, while others have never explored what a VA can do for them in their business. Today, I'm talking with Nathan Hirsch, the founder of Outsource School. Before starting outsource school, Nathan scaled his previous business, Free Up, from a $5,000 initial investment to eight figures in less than four years using only a team of VAs. Today, Nathan is going to share with us the four part system for hiring great VAs. Additionally, Nathan is going to be answering the most submitted VA related questions from you, the Creating a Brand Listeners. So let's not wait any longer. Here is my conversation with Nathan Hirsch about hiring a virtual assistant. Nathan, welcome to the creating a brand podcast. So excited to have you with us today. Alex, me too. Thanks for having me. should be a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's a topic that I personally don't know much about and the creating a brand community and listeners were really interested in somebody covering the topic of virtual assistants, VAs that we're gonna get into today. So I know you've got probably more experience than anybody else in this field. So I'm really excited that we we found the guy at the top of this thing to talk to you today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love talking about virtual assistants, scaling businesses and all that. So hopefully I can drop a drop a lot of knowledge for your audience.
0: Yeah, man. ready right. Just to jump into this thing, I think the best place for us to start would for, be for you to actually just share your experience working with virtual assistants, how you were able to actually build a business using them and, and just kind of paint the picture for the audience today so they understand what it looks like and the po- possibilities that they have for working with a virtual assistant as well
1: yeah so going way back i actually started off in the amazon space i was buying and selling textbooks in college i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur but at that time i mean businesses fail so i I was getting a college degree so i had a backup plan but i really didn't want to get a real job out of college so i was hustling buying and selling people's textbooks competing with my school bookstore until I eventually got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So that was my first glimpse into being an entrepreneur. And my parents were both teachers, so getting kicked out of school would not have gone over very well. So I pivoted mm. very quickly, and I started to experiment with other products on Amazon. and. Through a lot of trial and error, for whatever reason, I came across baby products. And I got really good at selling baby products on Amazon. And when I say really good, imagine me selling millions of dollars of baby products out of my college dorm room. And this business started to expand, and I needed to hire people. So I turned to the people around me, college kids, and it was an absolute disaster. They were smoking weed on the job, drinking on the job, oversleeping for shifts. It was bad. (laughs) So out of necessity, I turned to the remote hiring space. A buddy of mine told me about Upwork, which was Odesk at the time, and I went there and hired my first VA and my second VA and my third VA and made a lot of mistakes, a lot of errors on my part, and over time, came up with this really good hiring process for interviewing, onboarding them, training them, and managing them. took years to figure that out. But at the same time, I didn't love the, the experience I was getting with those platforms. I'd post a job, get 50 people to apply, interview them one by one. It just took forever. And, and I kept looking and looking for a better, faster way. And I, in my mind, I had an idea of what this perfect marketplace looked like. And when I didn't couldn't find it, I said, you know what? I'll build this myself. So I took $5,000 and spent 4500 of it on this really crummy software that did very little <laughs> And we took it to market. And our whole concept of free up was we would pre-vet VAs and freelancers before they even got on the platform. A client would put in a request and we would fill it quickly and match them up. On the back, we had 24-7 support in case they had even the smallest issue and a no-turnover protection. If someone quit, we'd cover all replacement costs and get them a new person right away. And we were a marketplace, not an agency, in the sense that we were not managing the VAs, the VAs were not reporting to us. All the work is between the client and the, and the uh, freelancer or the VA. We're just the marketplace that matches them up. So We took that to market, and fortunately, people really liked it. They liked the speed that they could get someone quickly, get started the same day. They liked our protection, our support, didn't really like our software. (laughs) And it took us uh, uh, years to kind of look at ourselves as a software company. But you also have to remember that we didn't know anything about marketing because with Amazon – at the time, now they have ads and Facebook ads and stuff, but at the time you'd pay Amazon the 15% and they would get you all your customers. So we didn't know anything about branding, about marketing or anything. We knew how to hire and we knew how to hire really well. So we built this really good internal team. We ran free up, never having an office, never having a US employee, all VAs in the Philippines. And we learned a lot about organic marketing, getting on podcasts, partnerships, backlinks, affiliates, joint ventures, influencers. And did all of this with virtual assistants. Not only did we not have an office, but we didn't spend any money on ads for the four years that we ran it. And we scaled this thing from a $5,000 investment to doing over $12 million a year um, by year four. And we were acquired by one of our clients at the end of 2019 last year, uh, which is a whole other story we can get into it if you want. Um, But from there, once we were acquired, people started reaching out and asking if we could teach them our systems, our processes. So we came up with the idea of Outsource School and broke it down into four parts, where we'll give people the, the fundamentals, our exact process for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. Then we're going to have all these SOPs that we call formulas and playbooks for getting out of operation, stuff like calendar management, bookkeeping, inbox Then all these SOPs for the fun stuff, the marketing, the podcast, the partnerships, everything we use to scale free up and are using a scale outsource school, we teach people how to do it with VAs. And then for the SOPs that we can't teach you because we don't know every SOP in the world, We built a software called Simply SOP. We really built it for ourselves because we got sick of making SOPs on Google Docs and videos just take too—they just get outdated too quickly. But this lets you to create really dynamic video and text SOPs. You can share with your VAs um, and, and update them very easily. So the four parts, and and then you You can get those separate, or if you become an outsource school insider, which is our membership, you get access to all of them. So that's a short version of how I went from books to baby products to free up to this brand new venture outsource school.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, man. and And just to kind of reinforce, virtual assistants have been there all along. Maybe aside from the beginning of Amazon, but with these other businesses, they've actually been the ones that are doing a lot of the work, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. My Amazon business was pretty much run by VAs. Free up was pretty much run by, was run by VAs. And Outdoor School, we have a team of VAs. So we're we're big proponents of practicing what we preach.
0: That's great. And before I get into some of these common questions that I know that the, the audience has submitted that they want to hear, I have one for myself here. Uh, at what point do you think a business should start experimenting or actually hiring VAs? Like, is it when they start making a certain amount of profit, when they start having a certain amount of workload? Wh- when is that right time for looking at a virtual assistant?
1: So my mentality is, listen, you're never gonna get the exact day and time right where I hired the VA exact time I should hire them. You're either gonna hire too early or too late and either both of them have pros and cons. If you hire too late, there's a big opportunity cost, but maybe you save a little money. If you hire too early, there's a risk that your business doesn't work out and you cost you a little bit of money, but you avoid losing that opportunity cost and it allows you to scale up faster. And my personal opinion is it's better to hire too early, too late, Because VAs are relatively affordable, how much money are you really going to lose? And it really accelerates the first year or so of the business, which is a really important time. And so with Outsource School, for example, we launched in January. We didn't actually have anything for sale until March. And before we even had uh, anything for sale, before we had any revenue, we hired a bookkeeper for five hours a month, not five hours a week, five hours a month. And that's because my first two hires for every business is always a bookkeeper, not an accountant, I have a U.S. accountant, but a bookkeeper to get me out of my day-to-day billing, to send me monthly reports, to organize everything in zero, which is an alternative to QuickBooks from day one, because I'm not good at bookkeeping. If I did it, it would have, I'd have to redo it anyway. And it's just not a good use of your time as an entrepreneur. It doesn't help me scale my business. And once I start making revenue, I want to be able to know my numbers very well and make decisions based on accurate numbers. So I hired her a few months early, cost me 25 bucks a month, not that much money, and that hit the ground running. Now, my second hire for every business is someone to get me out of my inbox because. Inbox is the worst place you can be as an entrepreneur. And so once we started getting revenue around March, my second hire was someone to get me out of my inbox to work 10 hours a week, clear my inbox before I wake up, leave any important emails to me so I get a head start to every day.
0: That's brilliant, man. I love those first two hires because they automatically get you into focusing on the business instead of in the business, right? I mean, if you get into bookkeeping, you get into emails, you're not going to be able to grow your business doing that. So you automatically really put yourself in this mindset of, okay, I'm just now starting something, but I'm going to make sure that I'm focused on growing the craft that I'm in, not just getting into the day-to-day, into the trenches, which sometimes you have to get there. I say that a lot on this podcast, but the majority of your time should be spent on growing the business. So I love that you shared that. And it actually leads me to a couple questions here, which are the ones that the audience has been asking. Uh, first off, how much is a virtual assistant going to cost?
1: Yeah, so ballpark in the five to ten dollar an hour range. Uh, usually in that five to seven, unless they're doing anything crazy. My rockstar VA Anna is eight bucks an hour. If we were further along, like by by year two or three of free up, uh, we paid we had VAs that were making over twenty bucks an hour. Now that's the exception, not the norm. They were team leaders, they were rock stars, and and all of that. And we actually set up bonus programs so their pay went up as the business went up. But five to ten bucks an hour is a good range and. If you go to outsourterschool.com slash VA calculator, you can actually grab a calculator where you input your business and it tells you how many VAs you can actually afford, whether it's two full-time or one part-time. And that gives you a pretty good understanding.
0: Yeah, I saw that calculator. That thing's pretty cool, man. Thank you for that, that free resource. That's great. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Moving right along to the next question here, which you've kind of already answered, but people are asking, are they looking for full time? So are VAs only wanting to work 40 hours a week, which clearly isn't the case, but can you kind of explain the, the reasoning behind that?
1: Yeah, definitely not. You can I mentioned you hire you can hire someone an hour a month if you want to. There's no minimums, there's no maximums. Now, as a default, if you're someone who's serious about scaling your business and money isn't something that you're not gonna be able to like put food on the table or something like that you should hire VAs full-time for this reason. Let's say you hire a VA for 10 hours a week and you invest time and energy into training this VA and they're a rock star. They are awesome. They make your life easier and your business starts to grow. Well, then you go to the VA and you say, hey, I want to increase you to to full-time. What if your VA is booked with other clients? They might not be able to do that and then you have to hire a second VA. This investment is only getting you 10 hours a week. So your default... For certain roles, and there's certain roles like I don't need most businesses, don't need a full-time bookkeeper. Outsource school definitely doesn't. Free up actually did because there's a lot of billing going on at all times. But for certain roles, you should try to hire full-time as the default, but you definitely don't have to. And if you're someone that can only afford 10 hours a week or you only have 10 hours a week of of work to do, you should definitely hire part-time. You just have to go into it the mentality that. They may or may not be able to increase their hours later, and, and sometimes it does work out. I've had times where I started someone part-time and went to increase them later, and it was awesome. I've had other times where they, I went to increase them later, and they had another client who was paying them a little bit more, and in order to get them full-time, I had to give them a $2 an hour raise, which I was happy to do because they were a rock star. So Just something to keep in mind, but you can definitely start off part-time.
0: Cool. That's great information, man. Thank you for that. This next question here should I hire a domestic virtual assistant or look for somebody offshore?
1: So, to answer this question, I want to break down the three different levels that you can hire. So, you've got followers, you got doers, and you got experts. So, When I'm talking about virtual assistant, and this is just me, for clarification purposes, I'm only talking about the followers. These are people who have years of experience, but they're there to follow your system, your process. If you don't have a system or a process, you really can't hire a follower. And other people might say anyone that works from home is a virtual assistant. That's totally fine. Since I talk to a lot of people, I try to clarify so that people don't make hiring mistakes. The doers are the graphic designers, the writers. You're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're doing that one task, eight to 10 hours a day. They're passionate about it. They're specialists. They can be project-based. They they might not even be consistent. You might want to build a Rolodex of two or three graphic designers, two or three video editors that you can go to so that every time you have a project, you're not posting a job and interviewing. You can just get started with your Rolodex. And then you've got the experts, the high-level freelancers, consultants, agencies. They can be 50 bucks an hour. They can be 10000 bucks an hour. But they're bringing their own strategy, their own systems, their own process to the table. Now, just like you shouldn't hire a follower if you don't have systems, like if you hire a follower and say, I don't know how to run Facebook ads, go run my Facebook ads, that's probably not going to work out too well for you. You shouldn't hire an expert who's had a lot of success their way and say, hey, I'm going to pay you top dollar, but I'm going to teach you how to do it my way. That doesn't make a lot of sense either. So understanding those different levels is incredibly important when hiring. And to go back to your question, for the follower roles, I would do not recommend hiring U.S. For the doer and expert roles, you can decide U.S. or non-U.S. Now, the reason for that is is, let's take customer service, for example, a, a normal following type role. If I hire someone in the US, let's say I hire a customer service rep for $15 an hour, not a super low rate, not a super high rate, pretty pretty reasonable. I invest time, energy, and money into training this customer service rep. And over time, how long are they really going to be happy with $15 an hour? They're going to want 17 eventually 19 maybe eventually 22 And then at some point, I have a very difficult decision to make. Do I drastically overpay for this position? Or do I part ways and find someone else and have to start that entire process all over again? Flip over to hiring non-US. Let's say you hire a customer service rep for seven bucks an hour. Pretty good rate in the Philippines. You could probably even find cheaper, but let's say you just hire them for for seven. They're awesome. You, You invest time and energy into them. They're great. You increase them to eight to nine to 11 to 12. It's a lot more affordable long-term. And I would argue that you can find anyone in the Philippines that can do a following role just as well as you can hire a U.S. role. So save the U.S. hires for the doers and the experts. And there's a lot of good non-U.S. doers and experts too. But for the followers, for the virtual assistants, definitely at least try hiring US, non-U.S. And let's say that's a total disaster. And for whatever reason, you just can't work with people not in the U.S., which I don't believe and I believe anyone can learn to do it. But let's just say that's the case. You can always go back and hire U.S. people, but you owe it to yourself and to your business to at least try non-U.S. first for the followers.
0: That's great, man. So you got followers, doers, and experts. That's that's a great three categories there. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, this last question I have here before we jump into the uh, into the big stuff here is: uh, How do you know that a VA isn't going to share your private information?
1: Yeah. So there, this is kind of my standard response on risk. There's always going to be a risk. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that me or anyone else can do to reduce that risk to 0%. Now, even if you hire your best friend or a family member to sit right next to you every single day, there's always a chance they do something stupid or jeopardize your business in some way. Now, moving to hiring from, let's say, the Philippines. The average virtual assistant in the Philippines cares a lot more about providing for their family and having steady income. And let's say you hire them from FreeUp. They don't want to get kicked off the platform. They, they want to have a, a option, opportunities for additional revenue than they do about stealing or jeopardizing your information in any way. And there are things you can do to reduce the risk. Using LastPass, you can quickly remove information. You don't give them access to everything on day one. You build uh, trust with them over time and give them more. You can get their ID on file, which FreeUp does automatically for you. And you can even make them sign an NDA. But are you really going to chase someone across the Philippines over a piece of paper? Probably not. The number one way to really protect your business is to build a relationship with the people you work with. Connect with them on social media, get to know their families, share about you and your interests, and find ways to connect with them. Build a family on your team where they like the other people on your team. Treat them well and make sure that you're not lowballing people just to do it and, and that you're checking in with them, making sure they're actually happy with their rates. So building the relationship is the real way to protect your business, but there's always going to be a risk but you also have to understand that the average virtual assistant does not care about stealing your information. There's very little benefit for them. And I mean, I've been hiring for eight plus years, never had a serious issue on free up. By the time I left, we were billing 19,000 hours a week, never really had a serious issue. So the risk is there, but you have to understand it and put it in perspective.
0: We'll get right back to today's episode. But first, I want to share the number one organic marketing strategy for growing your brand. It's called podcast guesting. Whether you're an established business owner or an entrepreneur that's just getting started, being a guest on podcast is the smartest marketing move that you can make. To help you become a successful guest, I've put together a 12-step guide for podcast guesting, which will explain everything from the gear you need to quickly finding the ideal podcast to be a guest on. If you'll visit creatingabrand.com slash guest, you'll be able to get started immediately. No email or registration required. I trust that this 12-step guide will serve you well in your podcast guesting journey. And now let's get back to today's episode. Moving along now to the big question. This is when I actually want to get into your your framework, the interviewing, onboarding, training, managing that you've already spoke about a little bit, but this was the most common question that I got, like 100X every other question we just talked about. How do I know that the VA will be good at the work? Uh, You've heard this question before, right?
1: I definitely heard this question before.
0: I figured as much. Because there's no simple answer to this question, let's go ahead and dive into your outsource school, IOTM system, which stands for interviewing onboarding, training and managing. This will actually give us the answer to the question, how do I know if the VA will be good at the work? To kick this off, can you talk to us about the first step in the IOTM system interviewing?
1: Yeah, so interviewing, we call it our care process and care stands for communication, attitude, red flags and experience. And what what I want people to take away because I'm not sure I can go through like every single interview question in this in this interview is focus on Not just the experience. A lot of people get caught up in, all right, this person's worked on WordPress for five years. They have worked on all these different marketplaces, X, Y, Z. Experience is one part of the equation. What, What experience really comes down to is, are they honest about what they can and cannot do? That's what you care about but experience only matters if they have the right attitude and communication. For attitude, you want someone who doesn't care about money. They have to have be passionate about something other than money. I mean, they can care about money on a certain level, but it can't be their number one priority. If they're a graphic designer, they should love graphic design. If they're a bookkeeper, they should love being a bookkeeper as much as I love being an entrepreneur. And you want someone who's positive and can be the bigger man and the bigger woman in every situation. If you have a customer service rep, who talks to your clients, and we all know that clients aren't all rainbows and butterflies and they get talked to (laughs) harshly and they lash out at your client, that's not good. You want someone who can be that bigger person. You want someone who can get along with the team and and wants to be a part of your culture. And then communication really ties it all together. And this is where it gets crazy and everyone thinks I'm crazy and then they do it and they notice a huge difference. Don't do your interviews via Zoom. Don't do your interviews via phone call, no video, no audio. 99% of the time, unless you're hiring someone for a video role or, or, or a phone call role, you're going to be communicating with your VAs via Slack or Skype or email. So have the have the interview on the channel that you're going to talk to the VA the most. We do it on Slack, and we have videos of us doing it at Outsource School. And we want to see: Hey, is this person responding quickly? Can they understand what I'm saying? Can I understand what they're saying? Can we get on the same page quickly? Are they giving me short answers or long answers? And so you want to if someone's taking forever to respond they're probably going to take forever to respond when you're running a meeting in 2 months and and that's not that's not going to be okay. So you want to make sure that you can communicate with the person on the channels that you're going to be using the most and it doesn't matter what someone's attitude and someone's experience is if you can't communicate with them at a very high level. So you're looking for that trifecta and the thing that people do wrong on interviews is they're looking for the right answers. What is this person telling me that shows me how awesome they are? And what the red flags, the R in care, reminds you to do is you want to be looking for all the wrong answers. That's your goal during the interview. You want to be looking for what is this person telling me that shows they don't have the experience they say they do, they don't have the attitude I want, or they can't communicate at the, that, the, the level I need. And you're looking for those red flags during the interview process
0: the care process, communication, attitude, red flags and experience. This is brilliant. I'm actually already taking some notes over here. Uh, Now to continue on with the IOTM system. Let's imagine that the interview goes well. And now we decide to move forward, which brings us to the onboarding step.
1: Yeah. So if you guys take anything out of this episode, it's this. It's the most important part of of hiring and everyone misses it. So most entrepreneurs, they know they have to interview a VA. They know they have to train a VA. They know they have to manage a VA, but people skip the onboarding. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you go to hire Jane. You interview Jane. It was a great interview. Most entrepreneurs will say, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you at five bucks an hour. Let's get started on Monday. What we teach our, our members to do is Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you at five bucks an hour. First, I want to make sure you're actually good with five bucks an hour. Who knows what other job offers she got? Who knows what her clients are paying her? Let's make sure she's really good with that rate. Then I want to talk about bonuses and raises so they know what to expect. Because if she's expecting to make 10 by the end of the year and I only give a 50 cent raise every year, it might not blow up on me now, but that's going to blow up on me at the end of the year. So I want to get on the same page with that up front. Then I take them through what I call my SIC method, which is S-I-C-C. It stands for Schedule, Issues, Communication, and Culture. And this is a 20- to 30-minute conversation. It's not a four-hour conversation, but it's the best 30-minute investment that you can make before a hire. So we're going to talk about schedule. What's your schedule for me? Has she ever worked out schedule before? Are there any issues there? What other clients does she have? And what are the exact schedules for those clients? And how many total hours is she working a week? Is she already working 100 hours before she even starts my job? I want to know these things. Then we go through issues. And there's five types of issues that if you hear any horror VA story, everyone complains about, it's the personal issues. It's the weather, it's the power, it's the internet, and it's the computer. So we go through these five issues. And for each one, we go through how often do you have this issue? What is the backup plan for each issue? Because we don't work with VAs that are one issue away from not being able to work for 30 days. And how are you going to communicate this issue when it happens, if it happens? Because if if you lose power, you can't just let me know in three days. You have to let me know right away. So we go through that for all five issues. And again, we're doing this in Slack, remember. So it's all in writing. So if down the line, their computer breaks and they told me they have a backup computer in their house, I'm going to hold them to it because we had it in writing and we already talked about it. Then we go through the first C, which is communication. We go through what tools we use, what what we expect in terms of communication. I expect them to be on Slack when they're working at all times. I expect them to respond to emails within a business day, whatever it is for you. And then we go through culture, and we set the expectation that we don't work with people that aren't a good culture fit, no matter how good they are at their job. So we've gone through schedule, issues, communication, culture. I kind of summarized all that for you a little bit more than that, but at the end, you ask them if they have any questions and then you give them a chance to back out because we'd much rather they back out and they say, Hey, are your expectations too high? They're not in line. This isn't what I'm looking for because by the end of this, they're going to have a very good understanding of what you expect out of them. Then for them to tell me in two months that it's not a good fit. So that's our sick method. And you have to have an onboarding step in between the interview and the training process.
0: Nathan, I have to say that I'm loving the acronyms that you're sharing with us. This one is the SICK Onboarding Method, Scheduling Issues, Communication, and Culture. Thanks again for sharing this one with the listeners today. No problem. Now we're on to the third step, which is training. This is the part that most people seem to get wrong, I've found. Can you talk to us about training VAs? it
1: it, it kind of goes into a different a few different parts of it for the onboarding it's important to set expectations up front and give them a, and make sure you're actually being re- realistic of what the job is because what i've seen a lot is people will post a very vague job posting they'll maybe give a little bit more information during the interview and the onboarding and then by the time they jump into training the va doesn't really know what they're getting into and it could be a work thing where what the work they're actually doing isn't Um, isn't on par with what they thought they were going to be, or it could just be the the overall working environment. I've seen, let's take Time Doctor, for example, which is a a tool to monitor screens. And I personally don't use it. I think it hurts the relationship uh, of the VA and the client. But I've seen clients who won't mention that in the job posting, won't mention the interview, won't mention it in the onboarding, and then they train the VA. So the VA is trained, and then they say, oh, by the way, I need to use Time Doctor. And the VA is thinking, we never talked about that. I wouldn't have taken this job if I knew that. And then both people are in a very bad spot. So that's part of it as well. The the second part of it and the real way to protect your business or protect yourself from wasting time is you have to value your time over valuing money. I will pay money to experiment with something. I don't want to experiment with my time because then I won't get Then I can't get that time back. So An example of that is, let's say I interview and onboard a VA, and you have an SOP, you have a training document, instead of just going through the training doc with them and doing one-on-one training, and let's say you invest a week into training them, and then by the end of the week, they're kind of getting it, but they're not really, and then you're kind of in a tough spot because you just invested an entire week into training them. Do you give them another week? Do you start all over, and that's a week you'll never get back? A much better way is to have good SOPs, which we can also talk about, give them the SOP, we had some SOPs that were 50 pages long. We have some that are one page long and give them time, paid time, because I believe in paying people for their time to review the SOP on their own time and ask questions. So let's say I hired a customer service rep for free up, had a 50 page SOP. That first week I'm paying them full time, whatever their normal schedule is. They're working, they're paid. They're just reading this SOP and asking questions. And my team's there to support them. I'm there to support them. doesn't take me very long to answer some questions here and there. But I'm not doing any one-on-one training. And then at the end of the week or or end of even the hour, if it's a much shorter SOP, I'm testing them on that SOP. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either they get 80% of it, and I'm more than happy to train them that last 20%. That's fine. Or they get 30% of it, and I'm going to nicely part ways and just say, hey, it's not a good fit. I'm going to pay them for their time because I believe in it but I haven't invested any of my time. And that's what it's really about as an entrepreneur. And you can do the same thing with the actual tasks. You can give test tasks and then review it. You can do it with multiple VAs. I remember at Free Up, we had a situation where we had to hire a few different customer service reps and we had to hire five customer service reps. But I knew that if I hired five customer service reps and I trained them all, which customer service is a a big thing to train on compared to other roles... And only four of them worked out. Well, then I'm a customer service rep short and I've already wasted all this time. So instead I'd hire seven of them and you could do the same thing hiring two or three. And and then we had we did that same thing where we give them the SOPs, see who got it. And best case scenario, we had seven great customer service reps and I can move someone to another team. Worst case, one or two drops out and I get the exact amount of customer service reps I need. They all ended up working out, which was a, a great problem to have. So you wanna make sure that you value your time over money. And when you structure stuff by having them learn the SOPs first, and you're testing them first on their own time paid, that's how you prevent yourself from being in a situation where you've just wasted all this time over someone that doesn't know how to do the task.
0: The important point here is to not take shortcuts or skip the training process. Invest in it now before you're even planning on hiring. Also build strong SOPs, which stands for standard operating procedure. All right, Nathan, let's say that we've interviewed, onboarded, and trained our new VA. The final part of the IOTM system is managing.
1: Managing gets broken down into a lot of different things. Uh, stuff like how do you run meetings? And, and I'm a big proponent of having a all-hands-on-deck meeting at the beginning of every single week with everyone. Then each team has a meeting throughout the week. Your team leaders have one meeting. And then you do one-on-one meetings with each va each quarter so having those meetings are important and whenever i talk to someone who struggled with vas my first two questions are how did you onboard them and how like when's the last time you had a meeting or how are you running meetings and it's almost always those two things that people are messing up you have to have consistent meeting structures in place along with a good onboarding process But the meetings don't have to always be run by you. I recommend running them at first, but you can have a team leader run meetings. At FreeUp, we had team leaders run meetings all the time. So meetings is part of it. Giving people the ownership of those SOPs is incredibly important, especially if you want team leaders and assistant team leaders. So what I'll do is I'll give someone the SOP and I'll say, hey, it's your job to help make this SOP better and to keep it updated over time. So with FreeUp, we had... 35 virtual assistants, which is a lot of different SOPs. Connor and I, my Connor, my business partner, are not updating all these SOPs all the time. It's the VA's responsibility to do that. So when we went to self-free up, everything had been updated every single month for the past X amount of years. And what this allows you to do is when you need a team leader, which you should definitely do once you get to five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 virtual assistants, because you don't want to have 15 VAs that are all reporting to you. That gets a little bit crazy. You you Instead of being like, who should be a team leader, based on how much ownership they've taken over the systems and over the processes, that's a fantastic indication on who can handle that next level. And then you can have the conversation to see if they actually want that. Um, managing goes into other stuff like dealing with issues. It goes into other stuff like firing VAs and doing that properly uh, to protect your business. But I think one of the most important things in that management is just running those consistent meetings over time.
0: There's a speaker that I really admire. Her name is Christine Kane. And she has a quote that says consistent action creates consistent results. In order to successfully manage, you have to be consistent. Now I want to ask you something kind of uh, more on a personal level here. You've worked with VAs for a long time. I'd love for you just to kind of bring a human element to everything we just talked about today. Have you seen lives impacted by the income that you've been able to provide for different families In, in the Philippines? I know it's somewhere where you work a lot.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing with my Amazon business, like it it was fun. It was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. It was my baby at the time. And I, I learned a ton from it. But at the end of the day, I was pushing baby products on Amazon. Like I wasn't that passionate about pushing <laughs> right. baby products on Amazon. <laughs> So when I start free up and all of a sudden we're, we're helping clients scale and grow their business, which is a lot of fun, helping people pursue their passion. And then we're helping freelancers and VAs and helping them in a big way. We're paying out millions and millions of dollars to VAs in, in third world countries and, and building relationships with them too. And I remember we went to the Philippines and we, you gotta keep in mind, this is a marketplace. So they don't work for me. They offer their services on the platform. We have our own internal team, they do work for me. But we threw an event in the Philippines. And we said, hey, no one has to go there. If you wanna go there, we have free food, we have free drinks, we'd love to meet you and hang out with you guys for the day. And we had hundreds and hundreds of VA show up voluntarily. Oh, wow. That's cool. And, and yeah, and it was an amazing day. And and after that, we, we took our internal team out to like a resort for a weekend as well. But during that, people are showing me pictures of their houses, their cars, things they're able to buy, provide for their family because of the FreeUp marketplace. And I'll always remember that. Like that, that was really cool, where you actually got to see that the difference that you're making in people's lives. And and that was important to us when we were selling FreeUp. I mean, we didn't want to just sell FreeUp and say, "Up, oh, see you guys later." Like we we spent a lot of time vetting the new owners and making sure the new owners would take really good care of them, which they are. And we're very thankful for, and we have a great relationship with them. We took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our internal team in the Philippines to make sure they were taken care of. We made sure their jobs were going to be secure, that their um, payments and their bonus and the raise programs were going to stay in place. And then even when we started outsource school, we wanted to continue to be a part of that VA community. So we partnered with our favorite charity, Teach for the Philippines to that they provide education to Filipino children that wouldn't necessarily get great education. And, and so we donate three percent also sales to them. And we're in constant contact with with VAs, even though we're a little bit more on the the client side and not as much on the matching side anymore. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's my overall thoughts. <laughs>
0: No, I did, man. That was perfect. That's actually, you know, I really wanted to hear that side of things because we always have to remember that everything we're doing is is, is human to human, right? And although we're talking about hiring a VA to help grow a business in the day, that's somebody there who's going to be trusting you to help with their livelihood. So it's really cool to hear your experience with it. And the fact that you've stayed involved and that you're helping educate people in the Philippines as well, man, I really appreciate that. So this is actually a perfect way for us to end the episode. But right before we do that, I want to just ask, is there any final piece of advice or wisdom you have for us on the topic of virtual assistants?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, for me, the goal of someone who isn't using virtual assistants right now, figure out how you get five to 10 hours back a week. Five to 10 hours be a week is a huge difference. That's more time you can spend with your family if you're super stressed out and overworked. That's more time you can spend sales, marketing, expansion. If you're trying to grow that empire, But if you can figure out what are the easiest, most repetitive tasks that I'm doing every single week that's taking five to 10 hours and focus on hiring a VA to do those tasks, then it's going to become fun. Then it's going to become addicting. And you're going to realize, man, I can outsource more and more and more. You're going to learn a lot from that experience and you're going to be able to build on it from there.
0: Nathan, thank you for sharing your knowledge about VAs with me and the listeners today. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Nathan really has cracked the code when it comes to hiring and scaling a business with VAs. If this episode has inspired you to take action with hiring a VA, I do encourage you to check out Nathan's website, starting with his VA calculator, which will let you know how many VAs you can afford exactly. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you have any additional questions about VAs, please visit creatingabrand.com 067 and leave a comment at the bottom of the page. Additionally, if you're already working with a VA, please comment with your experience so we can all learn from you. Nathan, thank you again for being a guest and teaching us how to hire and get the most from a virtual assistant. To learn more about Nathan Hirsch and to enroll in Outsource School, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 067. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.